Friends, today we are in a series, we're continuing a series called Why Church? Why Church? And one of the reasons we're asking the question, Why Church? is because a staggering number of people consider church as irrelevant and non-essential. And what's even more startling is that many of these people call themselves Christian. Consider, for example, a recent Pew Research survey. People who rarely or never attend church were asked, why not? Why not church? We may think it's because they don't believe in God, but we'd be wrong in most cases. Listen to this. Only three in ten, only three in ten said they don't go to church regularly because they are non-believers. So if you do the math, that means seven in ten that don't go to church consider themselves believers. So why not church? Well, I practice my faith in other ways, many said. I haven't found a church I like. It's not relevant to my life, and so on. Now, I don't stand up here in judgment over believers that don't attend church. I don't know their stories or situations. And I don't want the rest of us who do attend church regularly to start feeling self-righteous about it, like the Pharisees in Jesus' day. But here's what I do believe, and it's the reason I've devoted my life to pastor Christ Church. The church, big capital C, church, the church in all its flaws and failures is still God's idea. The church in all its imperfections is still the primary vehicle through which God intends to bless the world. The church is still the ordinary place where Jesus Christ himself promises to show up in our lives, renewing us, healing us, and filling us with the love of God. So that's why I think it's so important that we devote some time to thinking about the question, why church? Because church is the family of God, as we discussed last week, and because the church is the body of Christ which is our topic for today. We'll look at this from a few different angles. The church is the body of Christ. Before we get into it, let, let us pray. Teach us, Holy Spirit, about the mystery of the resurrected body of Christ. Teach us, Holy Spirit, about the body of Christ broken and given for us. Teach us, Holy Spirit, what it means when you call us the body of Christ, those of us gathered here and elsewhere in Jesus' name. We're here to learn, Holy Spirit. Amen. There are a number of places in the New Testament that speak of the body of Christ. The one we'll look at more closely today is from Paul's letter to the Ephesians, the fourth chapter. So here's what Paul says about the church to the church. Ephesians 4, listen to the word of the Lord. Therefore, as a prisoner for the Lord, I encourage you to live as people worthy of the call you received. Conduct yourselves with humility, gentleness, and patience. Accept each other with love, and make an effort to preserve the unity of the Spirit 
with the peace that ties you together. You are one body and one spirit, just as God also called you in one hope. You are one body and one spirit, just as God called you in one hope. There is one Lord, one faith, and one baptism, and one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. God has given his grace to each one of us, measured out by the gift that is given by Christ. That's why the scriptures say, this is Psalm 68, it says, when he climbed up to the heights, he captured prisoners, and he gave gifts to the people. What does the phrase he climbed up mean if it doesn't mean that he had first gone down into the lower regions of the earth? The one who went down is the same one who climbed up above the heavens so that he might fill everything. He, Christ, gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. His purpose was to equip God's people for the work of serving and building up the body of Christ until we all reach the unity of faith and knowledge of God's Son. God's goal is for us to become mature adults, to be fully grown, measured by the standard of the fullness of Christ. As a result, we aren't supposed to be infants any longer who can be tossed and blown around by every wind that comes from teaching with deceitful scheming and the tricks people play to deliberately mislead others. Instead, by speaking the truth with love, let's grow in every way into Christ, who is the head. The whole body grows from him as it is joined and held together by all the supporting ligaments. The body makes itself grow and that it builds itself up with love as each one does its part. This is the word of the Lord. It's a longer passage of Scripture than we sometimes read, but the overall picture of the church that the Apostle Paul paints here is this. The church is one body with many parts under Christ the head. Say that with me. The church is one body with many parts under Christ the head. Good job. So that's our roadmap for this morning. So let's start with the fact that the church is one body. Listen to verses 4 through 6 again. It says, you are one body and one spirit. He's talking about you, the church. You're one body and one spirit. Just as God called you in one hope, there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. Can you venture a guess at what the most repeated word in this section is? One. <laughs> there are seven things qualified by the word one. How many bodies are there in the church? One. There's one body. How many spirits in the church? One. There's one Holy Spirit. How many lords are in the church? There may be ten lords a-leaping during Christmas, but in the church there is only and always one Lord a-reigning, our Master and Savior, Jesus Christ. The point here is that the church is thoroughly and inescapably one. We 
are one. There's no way around it. God has made it so. It is God's gift to the church universal, this gift of essential oneness. It's also God's gift to the watching world, this gift of one unified church whose very life comes from the risen Lord Jesus. Like water is drawn from the well, our life comes from Jesus Christ. So, whether you like me or not, we are one. Whether you have a different set of values and politics than your believing neighbor, you are one with that neighbor. Whether you're a citizen of America or a citizen of Russia, if you believe in Jesus, your citizenship is in heaven. Therefore, you are one with all other heavenly citizens in the kingdom of Christ. Agree? Agreed. Throughout the centuries, followers of Jesus have always believed in God's gift of one and only one church. You remember what the Nicene Creed confesses? This is from the 300s AD. It says, we believe in one holy, universal, or Catholic and apostolic church. What is the meaning of the word Catholic or universal? Karl Barth, a theologian of 60 years ago, he asks, what's the meaning of this word universal? Here's what it means, he says. He says, by it we are taught, as there is one head of all the faithful, Christ, so all ought to unite in one body, so that there may be one church spread throughout the whole earth and not a number of churches. Do you see one church spread throughout the earth? Or do you see a number of churches doing their own thing? Lord, help us to see, and more importantly, to be one church, spread throughout the earth, furthering the one mission of Christ. Karl Barth drives the point home when he says, it's important to note that the church is not formed by a human gathering of people who share the same opinions, but the church is formed by a divine convocation, a divine calling. It's God that constitutes into one body individuals who were previously scattered at the mercy of their own opinions. <laughs> I love that line from Bart. We were once scattered at the mercy of our own opinions. But now God has brought us all together into one body under Christ the head. This is a critical point for the all too easily divided contemporary church. In a day when countless churches over the past couple years have divided over what to wear and what not to wear over their faces, this is a critical point. Who would have thought our bond that unites us was so fragile. But what really binds us together is not our shared opinions or political proclivities. What binds us together has nothing to do with the natural human tendency toward hanging out with like-minded people. What binds us together is, is not even an agreement on the finer points of doctrine and biblical interpretation. What binds us together 
What makes us one body of Christ is none other than the risen body of Christ. Period. It's Christ's risen body. And the confession that God raised him from the dead that makes us one. Paul says it plainly in Romans 10 verse 9. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will belong to the body of Christ, period. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you belong to the body of Christ. And this is God's gift to us. This essential oneness of the universal church, which God calls the body of Christ. But God does not stop there with his lavish generosity to the church. Not only does God make us one, he also gives us something that reminds us of our oneness. Like a wedding ring reminds couples of their oneness, so God gives us the sacrament of communion as a sign of our oneness. It's a sign and a seal of our unity in the body of Christ. It's no accident that both the church and the Eucharist are called what? They're both called the body of Christ. This is the body of Christ broken for you. You are the body of Christ, the church. This is no accident. This is God's plan for establishing and sustaining the global church's essential oneness. This shared meal that we'll soon celebrate together, this shared meal that churches from all different ethnicities and countries will celebrate today, it's our participation in the real presence of the risen body of Christ. That's what unites us all other believers. We become what we eat. We, the church, become what we really are as we consume the bread. We become the body of Christ. This is a great mystery, my friends. The Apostle Paul knows it's a mystery, and he lays it out like this in 1 Corinthians 10. He says, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a sharing in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a sharing, that word is koinonia, is it not a communion, is it not a fellowship in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, Paul says, because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of one bread. So this is God's gift to the church, our unalterable unity as the body of Christ. This is what God has done through the crucified and risen body of Jesus, quite independent of our own doing. He's established the church as the one body of Christ. But now, now there's something for us to do. Now we are called to maintain that unity. Now we are called to fight for that unity. And here's how we fight for it. We do what God says in Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 3. Let's read it again. It says, 
I encourage you to live as people worthy of the call you received from God. Conduct yourselves with humility, gentleness, and patience. (laughs) Accept each other. Accept each other with love. That's how we fight for our unity. Make every effort to preserve the unity in the bond of peace. So while the global church is what we sometimes call the invisible unity, it it cannot be destroyed in any ultimate way. God's holding it together. Christ holds all things together, including the unity of the church. But at the same time, our visible unity, what the world sees, it must be preserved and maintained by us, the church, as God gives us the strength. We must make every effort to maintain the unity that Christ has won for us as God gives us the strength. And it will require heroic strength. The Apostle Paul assumes as much by his choice of Greek words in this text. Scholar N.T. Wright explains it like this. He says, Paul is urging them and us to mount guard over that unity Listen to this, as one would set a troop of soldiers to guard a city or treasury. That word, guard the unity, that's, that's this military term. As one would set a troop of soldiers to guard a city, that's how we are to guard the unity of the church. There are all sorts of things, Wright says, which can attack and spoil that unity, and these must be resisted, whatever they are and wherever they occur. What threatens our unity at Heartland Community Church? What aims to spoil our unity with our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ around the world, in other churches in the greater Lafayette area? Whatever it is that threatens our unity, let us resist it and fight against it like we're fighting for our own children. That's the force of God's call to unity in the church. Now let me offer one practical example, and I hope this example ignites our imaginations for how we might preserve the unity with other area churches. So a few years ago, my wife Stephanie and I were serving a church in Holland, Michigan, and uh, I don't exactly know, I wasn't in on the the conversations, but uh, a diverse group of church leaders, they joined together in this fight for unity in the body of Christ. So they noticed how an evil spirit of church competition had filled the air of West Michigan church culture. They also noticed that every church had their own sign out front with their own logo marketing their own unique brand of church. Let the best business win the religious customer. That seemed to be the unspoken attitude. So as a sign of repentance from this idea of church as religious vendor, as a sign of repentance from this idea of churches competing for customers, as a sign of repentance and as a sign of unity, dozens of churches throughout Holland, Michigan, from all different denominations, 
did this. They put large sackcloths over the top of their church signs. Sackcloths are signs of humility and repentance in the Bible. So for two consecutive Sundays, they put sackcloths over their church signs. And when Christians and non-Christians alike drove all through the town, they witnessed a strange sight. They witnessed not a bunch of different churches trying to get their business, but rather they witnessed these sackcloth signs. And printed on the signs were the words, One Church. One Church. Part of me wonders if these churches should have kept those sackcloths on forever. (laughs) That's a witness the world desperately needs to see. The witness of one church. At any rate, the church is one body with many parts under Christ the head. So now let's finish up by thinking about how Christ is the head of the body. And first, let's revisit the last couple verses of our reading from Ephesians 4. Verse 16 says, By speaking the truth with love, let's grow in every way into Christ, who is the head. The whole body grows from him, as it is joined and held together by all the supporting ligaments. That's every church member. The body makes itself grow, and that it builds itself up with love, as each one does its part. So what does it mean that Christ is the head of the body, which is the church? Two things. First, think about what the head does for your body. The head, if you include the brain, it directs everything, doesn't it? (laughs) When Paul says Christ is the head of the body, it means at least two things. It means that Christ is the brains of the operation. Christ is the brains of the operation. Christ is the one who comes up with the best ideas for the church, who the church is and what the church should do. It's our job not to figure it all out on our own. Christ is the brains of the operation. It's our job to discern this. And in our discernment, we must focus our attention on what exactly Christ has said about the church through the Holy Scriptures. What we learn when we listen to the Scriptures talk about church is much different than what I learn when I get all the magazines advertising to me as a pastor things to do to grow our church. What we learn when we listen to the Scriptures talk about church is that the church is not a vendor of religious goods and services, but rather the church is a family of brothers and sisters, called to imitate our elder brother, Jesus. What we learn as we listen to the scriptures is that the church is not a business whose job is to grow their clientele in competition with other church businesses, but rather, the church is the one body of Christ called together to advance Christ's mission in the world, a mission that includes unspectacular things like visiting prisoners, caring for the sick, feeding the hungry, welcoming the stranger, giving gloves for people in our community with cold hands. 
Christ is the brains behind the operations of the church, and this is who Christ has called us to be. That's the first point. The second point is this. Christ is, when, when Scripture says Christ is the head of the church, it means Christ is the one in charge of the church. A hand cannot pick up a fork by its own volition. It must receive a signal from the head. A mouth cannot speak to a friend on its own. It must receive the word from the head. In the same way, the church, with all its various parts, cannot function appropriately unless every part is willing to take orders from Christ, the head. Not from the pastor, not from the elders and deacons, but from Christ, who is the only one in charge of the church, of this church and every other church. Now, pastors and church leaders have an important role to play in discerning this. That's why Paul includes a section in Ephesians 4 about how Christ gave pastors and teachers to the church. But what's the function? What's the role? The role is not to be in charge. The role is to submit and to take one's orders from Jesus, the master, so that the church leaders can equip God's people for the work of serving, so that pastors and teachers and leaders can equip God's people for the work of building up the body of Christ. Until what? This is the goal. Until we all reach the unity of faith. Until we all reach the knowledge of God's Son. My friends, if you believe Jesus is Lord, and if you believe God rose him from the dead, you are a member of the beautiful body of Christ. You are a part of something massive, something larger than anything else in the world has ever grown. You are a part of the multi-ethnic, worldwide body of Christ. But you are not a lame part of the body. You are called to be an active part you're called to play your part. Therefore, my friends, let us make every effort to maintain the unity of the global body of Christ. Let us learn from the master who is the brains of the operation called church, and let us take orders from the master, Jesus. For he is the one, as our scripture says, he is the one who went down to the depths of hell after being crucified for our sins. He is the same one who climbed up on the third day by the power of God, and he climbed all the way up above all the heavens so that he might fill everything in the whole universe, including your own heart, with his love. Let us be empty and eager to be filled by Christ's love today. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, Amen.